Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 34 of season two of This Osteopathic Life. I join you finally back again on Saturday, the 31st of October, 2020, here from Northwest Michigan. And for many of us, this is a day that we celebrate Halloween. And for me, over these last five years, this has incorporated the Ashland Monster Dash, a fun run, one mile, 5K and 10K options that falls on the Saturday around Halloween, usually just before. And this year, as well as the first year that I was in Ashland, it is on Saturday, which is kind of a lovely coincidence. And this year, as well as many events, it has become virtual. And while I am sad to know that we won't have the gathering of so many individuals in creative costumes running as fast as they can, even while dressed like a T-Rex, I appreciate the opportunity to participate in the full version of the event as it exists this year, even from a distance. And so today, I suited up mostly in black and orange for my own version of the run and ran a 10K for the first time since June. If you've been with me this year, you'll know that I suffered a stress fracture in my foot that limited me from running. And I've been gradually returning to run mostly just once a week and you know, building up mileage. And so today was my first foray beyond the five mile mark. And it was great and appropriate that it happened in concurrence with the Ashland Monster Dash. And it was a perfect fall day for running, maybe a little bit extra wind than I would have liked, but otherwise super cool and crisp and beautiful blue sky and crunchy leaves underfoot, dry. It was, it was a lovely day. And I ran, not as fast as I would normally run a 10K, not as fast as I did last year during the race, which is certainly its own setting when you're running with other people and trying to catch up to someone on the course or stay in front of your husband who is not too far behind you. But the goal wasn't the speed today. The goal was to celebrate the event. The goal was to appreciate being able to run. The goal was to get outside and enjoy the fresh air. The goal was simply to start, not even to finish. And I shared this in my Facebook post last week, that for as much as I love exercise and working out, and it's interesting that the word exercise has come up more often for me than working out or training. And I have to examine that as word choice is always fascinating to me. And I've never really thought about it as exercise. And I've often thought about it more in that competitive sense of working out or training for something. And so that in itself is fascinating. But last week, I didn't feel terribly motivated. But exercise is a regular part of my Zaley experience, and pretty reliably so, historically. 
And on the days when I wasn't feeling so motivated, I offered to myself, you don't have to finish any of these workouts, but you can at least begin. And so I accepted that invitation to start the workouts. In most days, I moved through and ended up finding my rhythm and completing the workout as I normally would have. In a few of the days, it was still pretty low energy. And I would do you know, 10 wall balls, then walk around for a while and check an email. And we could talk about being distracted as well and do 10 more and spend more time focusing on the words of whatever book or podcast I was listening to. But I got through something, right? And I also allow that to be enough. There would be times historically that I would criticize myself and think, that didn't even count. You're barely sweating. What did you even gain from that? But instead said, well, the invitation was to start and you started and you did something and that is okay for today. And that helped. It helped kind of bridge that gap and the energy and enthusiasm has come back And some of it is certainly season changing. You know, it's colder. It takes longer for the lights to emerge in the mornings. So there can be all kinds of reasons. But at the core is the opportunity to talk to myself about it and give myself some grace around what's happening. So in any case, I completed the 10K in a decent time. You know, not a PR, not my slowest time. And returned home and we decided as a family to complete the One Mile Fun Run in costume. And so everybody got dressed. And similarly to how I've been feeling this year, they were not quite as motivated for the speed they had exhibited the year prior. Again, in that setting of the race and seeing peers and friends and people out there really running as hard as they can, everybody ran fast. My oldest son was in the sixes. My middle son was in the high sevens. My daughter even finished a 10 minute mile, you know, at six years old. And everybody was flying today. It was kind of a run-walk and kick the leaves, but we were in costume, and we ran the one mile, and we are participating in the event from afar. And all that to be a fairly lengthy intro to the concept I'd like to talk about today of masks. And if you saw that as the title of the podcast and we began in this time in 2020, you might have a preconceived notion about what that would touch upon. And we'll likely go there. But I'd really like to start with the idea of masks around this holiday, this tradition of Halloween. And I was just talking to someone about the masks I remember from childhood. And you know, I'll be turning 40 this year. So if you are near my age, you may recall as well, the masks we had available were a thin plastic and they had stapled a rubber band to the back. And they had a teeny tiny opening for the mouth and little teeny pinholes for the eyes. And that was what you wore. And they weren't very comfortable and they got pretty sweaty. And most of the time the rubber band broke. And so you could hardly wear them at all. And you just held on to them through most of the trick-or-treating, which involved a pillowcase as the receptacle for candy that would get filled up, right? Does anybody else remember that? My kids have these teeny buckets now. And I'm thinking, wow, that would have been, you know, the first 10 minutes, I feel like, when we were kids. But certainly we always can have exaggerated memories of our own experience in youth. In any case, those are the masks I recall. And I also recall that they were really only available at Halloween. And again, we could get into this nostalgia retelling, just like cartoons were only available on Saturday mornings, right? Costumes were really only available at Halloween. And now you can get costumes all the time. And they're fancy, and they're comfortable, and you can breathe through them. And the eye apertures are actually conducive to vision. And we have a 
slew of them here in our house. And so it means that at the time of the Monster Dash, we can don these materials and be in costume pretty readily as a group of five. And so there's always improvement available on the quality of masks that are created. And at Halloween, this opportunity, right, to take on a different persona, to emulate your favorite character or favorite real life person, and disguise yourself. And sometimes it's in a beautiful way. Sometimes it's in a scary way. Sometimes it's in a satirical way. Sometimes it's in a very honoring way. But that opportunity to take on someone else's appearance, mannerisms, and to not be yourself for a few hours is an interesting concept and one that we take up with different vigor. Some people take Halloween very seriously and they really embrace the opportunity. We've had a few years of really good ensemble costuming. The whole family joined in, even my mom, the year we were uh, the Avengers. And it's an opportunity to try something else on for a while, knowing that you are still there underneath, that you'll return to your native self once that event is concluded. And it's in good fun, generally speaking. Masks have had a role throughout history in so many different ways, in so many different cultural expressions, in religious ceremonies, and the construction of masks is quite amazing. And if you go through the history of masks, and I will put this link in the show notes, just thinking about all the different ways for so many thousands of years, people have utilized masks for representation, for honoring, for calling upon the gods. They have been a key part of culture and the details and the depths to which the artistic craftsmanship was applied are quite fascinating. Using the natural materials, using parts from animals, using you know colors that are garnered from the earth to create these really is a beautiful concept. And so noticing the role masks play in the human experience for as long as we have record of history or for as long as we've found the time back to explore with archaeological exploration, what masks have meant to the human experience. And thinking about masks as their own works of art. And I can think right now in many households, I visited in the museums, you know, that visualization of all the detail and beautiful artistry of masks to honor and experience. I think about masks in theater, in modern day theater as I know it, and how much the mask can transform the experience. And there are times the mask is used in conjunction with dialogue. There are times the mask really is the full key centerpiece and words are no longer used, but that embodiment and the physical dialogue in the interaction between the actors on stage offers the whole message and experience to the audience. And seeing the power and thinking about the physicality of theatrical production and sometimes the weight, right, and the depth and the thickness of the masks that are worn and how that might 
be inhibiting right, to the respiratory experience of the actor, but that also it can be worked with, right? It can be trained to manage and that it is possible. I think about masks worn in the medical profession and I think about my surgical rotations, going through training and standing for many hours with the mask and not being allowed to touch it to maintain a sterile field and navigating the fogginess that can happen when you're wearing glasses and a mask and how to navigate that. And considering how many of my colleagues spend the majority of their time in a mask because they're in the operating room or because they're in suites in the hospital where that's required of them for their own safety and for the safety of the patients. And for all that has happened you know, physically, it can be quite arduous. We think about orthopedic surgeries and the depth of physicality that's involved in that. You know, it really is like the tasks of carpentry with the finesse of human physiology on board. And it can require a lot of force and you know, heavier respiration. And it's done in a masked environment. And we do that for the safety of the individual who is being operated upon, right? To protect their own sterile field and protect any transmission of the others in the room from entering into the wound that is opened in the surgery. And so noting that and noting that there is no hesitation and there's absolutely no room for any other choice than to be masked when you enter into an operating suite and that we don't question that at all. And that's a development. There are certainly times that wasn't the case and there were certain other problems with infectious disease in that time. And so as we know better, we have done better and we hold one another to that standard. I remember that in the earliest stages of medical training when you didn't know and it's like, don't touch anything blue and, you know, my gosh, is this tight enough and am I breathing? What if I sneeze and I'm wearing the mask? Is that enough? Like there's a lot of insecurity around it. But as a culture in the surgical specialties, it's just what it is, right? It's almost so normal as to not even be noticed, right? It wouldn't even be a possibility to consider not wearing a mask in that setting. And similarly, in situations where patients themselves do have an infectious disease, it does become for the protection of the physician entering the room or any healthcare provider or any staff person in the hospital entering the room to prevent them from getting that disease, but also to not be a transmitter of that disease into the next room. Because often when you're in the hospital, you're not just seeing one patient, you're going from room to room. And if someone is carrying a disease that is transmissible, they are put into isolation, right? And to enter that room, you have to put on all that personal protective equipment, gown and gloves and mask and face shield, goggles. And again, that is not questioned. And that ups the ante a little bit because you notice that personal, you know, don't get sick yourself piece. I can remember that specifically rounding on patients while I was pregnant during training and having that heightened awareness, right, of not wanting to get an infectious disease while pregnant because the risks are higher for the developing fetus. And having that heightened awareness, am I putting this all on properly? You know, when you notice the risk for yourself, you do, that's human nature, tend to have a deeper sense of, okay, let me get this all exactly right. And then 
appropriately removing it, washing hands and proceeding to the next room so as to protect the person in the next room to which you are going. And that as well was never really a question, right? Once that is established and you see the logic and the protocol, that's just what you do, right? And you don't enter the room until that material is made available for you. And so as we were faced with or we approached, entered into the time of the coronavirus, and there was some ambiguity early on about the requirement of masks. And we could look back at the timeline and notice that perhaps early on, it wasn't recommended that the average person wear a mask. And it's so important to remember that the information around coronavirus has been evolving, right, day by day, really, and also has been on the same trajectory of managing the global crisis associated and mitigating equipment use for the highest priority spaces. And so early on, there was concern with mask use that we prioritize it for the hospitals, right? For those most vulnerable situations, for those spaces where we anticipated having positive cases and going from room to room and wanting to mitigate that transmission. And so prioritizing the use in those spaces. And then as it became more clear, the methods of transmission and the more global risk, especially for transmission from asymptomatic patients, meaning people who didn't feel sick, but could actually have the virus and then pass it on to others unknowingly, is where that recommendation for masking on a broader scale emerged. And admittedly, it can be confusing to have a change in recommendations, but that really is how science works. Science continues to test hypotheses and science continues to integrate new information and make new recommendations as we gather a greater sense of what is happening, what the impact is, and the ways in which we can be the most effective at minimizing risk to life. And we've done this over and over again. We've seen ads of physicians smoking in the 1960s. We have recommended medications historically that then we've realized to have side effects we didn't anticipate. And then they became not a recommendation, first line, or they've been removed from the market entirely, right? And that can be frustrating, but that's part of the process of learning and gathering new information. And so being willing to keep an open mind and synthesize what has been presented and also to look to what has been successful in other places. And we do have the benefit of a bit of a time-lapsed view of what's happening. And when coronavirus first emerged into our awareness, we had examples in China and in multiple countries in Europe to notice what was happening, the severity of it, and the methods by which it was treated more effectively. And we've had to evolve how we've moved around that Treatments we thought that were going to be most effective were not because we haven't seen the manifestations of this virus in the human body before. We haven't seen the impact on all the different systems. And as we see more cases, we understand more and we can make better recommendations. But it was very clear relatively early on as the recommendations came out that masking was helpful in reducing transmission. And the more people who were masked, the more improvement there was. And so if no people or masked, then that transmission rate is high, right? It's just open. Everyone's sharing. We talked about sharing breath, and this is one literal way to look at that. 
if you're within proximity to another person. And if one person is masked, it goes down somewhat. And if two people are masked, it goes down significantly. And so making that recommendation of wearing a mask is truly to support re-engagement and reopening. It's not to limit it. It is meant to create ways in which we can coexist and engage with one another more safely so that we can move toward more, quote, normalization, end quote, of our society. And we can talk about that in a whole other episode. And it can be restrictive, as I talked about in the breath episode, right? We can feel like it inhibits our ability to breathe, but some of that really is a thought. And certainly there can be medical conditions where you have restrictions, but perhaps you're not going out, right? If you need to be able to breathe and not wear a mask, you may need to stay home or stay outside your home or stay only with those people who are within that circle of safety for you so you don't need to wear a mask. And that can be challenging, no doubt. But if we're looking at reducing significant risk, that may be something to consider. But if you are able and not inhibited by an underlying medical condition that challenges your capacity for respiration at baseline without anything on your face, you're going to go out in public and interact with other people. Wearing a mask is the current recommendation and in many places the requirement. And this is something that should cover your nose and your mouth. And we can feel restricted by this you know, physically, physiologically, emotionally, mentally. And I'm wondering why. I'm wondering what it is that feels so challenging, so infringing upon rights to have this request for masking. And some people will say it limits connection, right? We can't see one another's expressions. It can be challenging for those who are hearing impaired and rely on lip reading for communication, no doubt, and requires us to get creative in how we address that. We've seen some masks with clear openings, but still covering the nose and mouth effectively. Perhaps we go toward writing or messaging, even when in person, to address that. It could be that we're just simply uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. It could be that we don't like to be told what to do. It could be that we don't believe that the recommendations are accurate. And I'm curious with any of those, even if it turns out that masking wasn't effective for transmission, even though we've shown that it is, but if it turns out, let's just say that we didn't need to mask, would you rather have worn the mask out of courtesy, respect, care for your fellow person or not worn it? And then found out we actually did need to. And what is the harm if the indication was to reduce the transmission of a potentially deadly virus, wear a cloth covering over your nose and mouth when you are in close proximity to other individuals outside of your own family or immediate bubble is what we're calling that, the pods of people with whom you are interacting Why is that so detrimental? What would be the problem with wearing that? And what are the thoughts that are underlying that resistance to wear a mask? 
And if it did mean you could attend school and sporting events and family gatherings, would you choose to wear it? And if not, why? And if you're assuming the risk of just not wearing a mask and interacting anyway, is that something that really is isolated to you? Because it is one thing certainly to incur the risk for oneself. But in this case, is it something you are actually only experiencing yourself? And what happens when you put that mask on? Are you no longer yourself? Are you taking on a new persona or personality? Is it changing who you are? Does your engagement change? And the answer may be yes toward what we might consider the positive. If we're putting on the mask and saying to one another without words, just like in the theater, I respect you. I wear this mask for you. And if we extend that to I am because you are and find that common connected human spirit and because I am because you are, I choose this mask so we can continue to be us together. I had it posed to me this week by a dear friend and confidant, inspirational source to look at the concept of power a bit differently. And the idea of power has come up a lot. I've had multiple episodes about it. It's been a theme in medicine, take your power back. That was the tour name for NACO and medicine for the people. And it's an important concept. And at its core, I fundamentally agree with it. But as was posed to me, the word power has different connotations. And main concepts in society have it as this aggression, this control. And if you listen to any of the recent Brene Brown episodes in her new Dare to Lead podcast, looking at power over instead of power with. But even in power with, there can be some limitations. And there can be this sense of exchange or divide or leveraging. And it can feel like there's taking turns with power. And even if the turns are more fair, it can still be that, well, for you to have power, I give up some power. And now you're in power and then I'll take my turn. And there's still this division in that perception of it. And in this conversation this week, it was posed to consider replacing the word power with the word life. And we could put that in place in many different scenarios. And I'm working on a written piece to this regard. But I want to talk about it a little bit today because I think it's a key part of the mask conversation. Let's just look at that one sentence that's been a common theme throughout this time. Take your power back. And if we replace power with life, it would read, take your life back. And as I thought that and said that and pondered that, I said, yes, right, that is everything. And it is take your life back. Because take your power back truly does exist at its greatest depth when we take our own life back. And life is this experience, this construct, this way of being that happens for all of us simultaneously. And we can identify our own, right? We can see our own life in that. 
But in an interesting way, I can have my own life and you can have your own life simultaneously. And they're not impeding one another. We don't have to share those. And we're totally sharing that life experience on a broad scale. And so this concept of individualization against simultaneity is so ironically powerful, right? It's profound to think about that. And if we're saying, take your life back, and if instead of feeling like the request or the recommendation or the requirement to wear a mask is a power play of control over you, what if it's actually an extension to you to take your life back and to keep your life and to hold your life and to protect your life and to honor your life and to do that with and for others as well? And what if wearing the mask was a way we are saying, I give life to you and I keep life for me and I hold life for both of us and I honor life through this act? And what if wearing that mask was that moment of a change in persona. And actually, instead of being anything divisive, it was the opportunity to mask up and take on that character of life and take on that character of common experience in life. And that comes back to the breath, right? So breath of life, breath is life, that common concept of the shared experience that we all have for ourselves and we all have together simultaneously in abundance. And so what if masking was the truest expression of life? If it was the physical manifestation of care and of love and connection. And it's one thing we can look at across the globe that people are taking up together to say, this is the way I can directly support my people, my culture, my world. And when I do this, I'm honoring myself and you simultaneously. And looking at it as a creative expression, and we've seen that quite literally in the many beautiful ways masks are being created. It's now this new accessory and it can have words upon it that are conveying the messages we hold and have with and for one another. And so as we're on this day where many of us are masked voluntarily, socially, happily, joyfully, scarily, perhaps, as we look to the many different ways masks have been utilized for as long as we can see humankind in existence, and we notice the ways masks are utilized respectively and for safety within the medical system at baseline. And then we can see how masks in this current time could actually be simply an expression of our engagement with life. And if we approach them from that standpoint, how might it allow us to participate more willingly, carefully, and I mean that in all iterations of that word, and with respect for ourselves and for each other through the common thread of the shared human experience and our coexistence in life itself. I welcome any discussion and comments and feedback and perspectives and experiences. It is no doubt a trying time 
but it can also be a most unveiling time where the mask is pulled from a lot of the behaviors and engagements we've had up until now. And if 2020 is all about clarity of vision, let's remove the mask from our eyes, right? And really see what is actually in front of us and see that we can maintain the mask over mouth and nose and not lose connection, but actually deepen it. And as the man in black stated, right? I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. And so perhaps we've simply arrived where we were always heading. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.